0: Good morning. Good morning. If you'll turn in your pew Bibles there to 591, that's a, the red one in the pew in front of you, or turn to Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11, reading this morning from the English Standard Version. "Home of David, Psalm 37. Let's go to the Lord for a prayer of illumination before we read his word. Please bow with me. Lord, we come to you this morning for guidance and understanding. Guide us in your word. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes and ears so we can hear and see and understand everything that you put in front of us. Let us fret not that we don't get it because eventually we will as long as we stay in your word. In your most precious name we pray, amen. Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace.
1: Thanks, Danny. Good morning again. We find ourselves working through the great gospel from Dr. Luke, the account that was told to him by Peter and by Paul and by Mark and some of the other disciples. We're in Luke 9, starting in verse 57 and on to 62. This is kind of a Forrest Gump moment in Jesus' life in that he is traveling. He's on the road. Remember that time when Forrest Gump is running across country and slowly just people start following him. He's got this whole entourage about halfway through the movie. This is kind of a Forrest Gump time. Jesus is walking through Samaria, not like the self-righteous Jews that refused to walk through Samaria because the half breeds lived there. Jesus and his disciples are cutting through Samaria and getting some rejection. In fact, getting quite a bit of resistance. And people keep coming up and want to be a part of this deal. They want to join in. And <laughs> here's what Here's what happens. Let's read. I'll read for you. Luke 9, verse 57. Dr. Luke says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury the dead, their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: So real quick, without thinking, tell the person next to you your favorite Disney animated movie song. What's your favorite Disney song? Somebody, tell them real quick. T- 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 tell them your song. Lisa and I I's is um, Under the Sea. Sebastian wants to be, uh, you know, he's got a hot crustacean band. Everybody has one. Everybody's grown up, every generation. Even my granddaughter, there's a famous Disney song, a favorite one. They, they've just proliferated our culture and our everyone knows one. Here's the top eight. Let's see if yours is in there. The top eight most famous, most purchased, most downloaded Disney songs. Uh, let's start with number eight. Just can't wait to be king by The Lion King. <clears throat> number seven, I don't even know this one. Eye to eye, a goofy movie. Some people, my son knew this one. And here, here we go. We'll get this one. Let it go. Anybody here know the words to let it go over and over ad nauseum? Let it go. <clears throat> Can you feel the love tonight? Lion King. Uh, number four, Beauty and the Beast by Beauty and the Beast. About to be a made-a-movie with real people in it. A whole new world, Aladdin. Number two of all times, part of your world, The Little Mermaid. The number one most famous purchased song is when you wish upon a star by pinocchio how did you do well we're wondering talking to middle school and high school kids we try to get their attention we ask them what do you think would be some of the characters of some of the real people the old testament what would have been their favorite disney song if they'd had one like a soundtrack for example adam and eve look for the bare necessities of course (laughs) samson and delilah beauty and the beast that's easy uh, king Absalom, just can't wait to be king. Uh, Abraham, when you wish upon a star. Uh, Cain and Abel, chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Um, you know, David and Bathsheba, can you feel? it? No, we're not going there. Never mind, not, not going there. But I think as silly as it is, if there were a song that kind of captured, encapsulated what Jesus is trying to say to these three different men who think they want to follow him, I think it would have to be, let it go from Frozen. This song by Adina, Adina, whatever John Travolta didn't call her, this, this song is like the most famous, most download, most, it is the, the, the number one movie in all times animated history. Every kid I know, below 15, knows every single word. Now, they're not great words. They're actually pretty secular, they're not very biblical. Jesus probably wouldn't like the, the context. It says things like, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no rules for me. Yay, parents are going, what, what? wait a minute. Um, I, I'm one with the sky. It's got a little bit of pantheism in there. Uh, you'll never see me cry. That's not very, not very healthy. But the title really kind of encapsulates and says what Jesus basically says to these three guys. Hey, let it go. See, they want to be disciples. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me instead of just being a cheap, easy believer, just a churchgoer, just a feel-good Christian, you're going to have to let some things go. Have to let a lot go. In fact... For me, out of this, I get these three things that Jesus says are required to be a disciple. With each one of these encounters, there's three things I see Jesus challenging me as far as being a disciple. I think he's saying, if you're going to follow me, it will be expensive. Little Johnny Manziel there. It will be very inconvenient. It will be very uncomfortable. To follow Jesus, not just believe, is going to be very expensive, very, very inconvenient, and very uncomfortable. Uh, Let's look at those. It's expensive to follow Jesus. Uh, this is a tough one. It, has it cost people to follow Jesus? Well, those people, because look at this guy. This first guy comes up to him and says, hey, he's one of the only guys, by the way, that comes up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you. Everybody else, Jesus says, will you follow me? This guy says, I'll follow you. And Jesus does this weird, non-sequitur, random, you know, kids say, that's random. It's a real random answer. I'll, I'm ready to follow you. He goes, well, you see these foxes over here living in these holes on the road here? See all these birds they have homes, don't they? I'm homeless. For three years, me and these guys have slept on the road. We have very little of anything. Jesus said, I'm so poor when they kill me, I'm only going to have one piece of clothing on my body. You ready for that? You All about that? You, you want to do that? And then he uses a strange phrase. He doesn't say the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. He doesn't say the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Because what he's saying, when I was the son of God, I was in luxury, I was in the cosmos, I had everything, the angels, I had all the, all the cost and abundance of, of God the Father in the cosmos, and I gave it all up. It was expensive to be here. And it is expensive. These guys that end up fallen, the one of them hangs himself. John's beheaded. Peter is hung upside down, crucified upside down in Rome. Some are sawed in two. Some have their skin flayed off. John dies in prison on Patmos. It's very expensive to follow Jesus Christ. If you live in another country, another religion, and you follow Jesus, you lose your family, you lose your job, and horrifically, sometimes you lose your head. In America, we have it pretty easy, don't we? It's expensive to follow Jesus. It costs our church to follow Jesus and to stay true to the Scriptures. It costs our church to move to a denomination and to start a new denomination that completely agrees and sticks with the Bible, the Scripture, about marriage, about God's identity, about sexuality. It costs us hundreds of thousands of dollars and some dear friends and members. It's expensive to follow Jesus. Last Wednesday... <laughs> Jake, had, our, our youth minister, had this great idea to bring this silver ring group that travels the country to talk about sexual purity. It cost our church some money. It cost a lot. And guess what happened? 1,100 people showed up, 30 different youth groups from all over the panhandle. They showed up, 135 students Walk forward and got to know Jesus Christ. 400 kids bought purity rings to say they're going to, it's going to be expensive for them to be made fun of to say, this ring means I'm following Jesus. I'm not sleeping with anybody. God pray for them. They're already, I know, of two or three couples in high school, they're broken up because the Christian girl said, I'm not sleeping with you anymore. That's costing something. It costs a lot to be those kids in high school that aren't going to get invited to the parties. That are not going to be the cool kids because they're following Jesus. It's expensive to follow Jesus. I have a friend who's now in his 40s. He had a beautiful, she still is beautiful, wonderful, loving wife. She was in our, our, our gap group. She's loving Jesus, and they were following Jesus. She falls down on her face in the mall, has an aneurysm, and she now is in bed for, has been in bed for nine years. Her husband, who has been told, just walk away, who's been seduced by other women, who's been told by Christians, it's okay, you can go remarry, and he says, no. It's expensive to follow Jesus. Is it costing you anything or me anything? It should cost my job, my work, my family, my time, my rumor, my name, my status. My... If it's not expensive, folks, are we really serious about following Jesus? And not only is it expensive, the second guy shows how inconvenient it is. By the way, Paul gives us a great verse. He says, all that stuff to me is rubbish compared He says it this way. Thanks, EA, for following me very well. Listen to Paul. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for His sake I have suffered the loss of everything and count it as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul is wealthy. His name is Saul. He's a leader in Jerusalem. He's a rabbi of rabbis. He's been trained. He's on the top of the democratic society, social. He's got it all, and he gives it away and says it's like. The actual word, folks, our English is a little too easy. He says it's like dung. We know what dung is in West Texas. He's like. All that stuff to me is like cow dung. It will be expensive. It also says it'll be inconvenient. Look at the second guy. Jesus walking along with his little forest gunk group on the road. He looks over another guy and says, why don't you follow me? And the guy says, okay, just let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus, very inconveniently, says no. We're on our way out of here. We'll be gone. The bus is leaving. Let the dead bury the dead. And you're like, whoa, Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't do funerals. Have you noticed? Jesus doesn't go to funerals because he doesn't believe in them. And when he does, he, funeral directors hate him because he, he, he disrupts things. He brings the body back to life. Not great for funeral directors. <laughs> Lazarus comes out of the tomb. The little boy comes out of the coffin. The girl comes out of the sick room. Jesus doesn't do funerals because he doesn't believe in death. Because he came to conquer death. And he says, if you're a dead person, if you don't know my father, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know me, you're dead. Let the dead be fixated on the death. Let the dead think that death is the end because it's not. Death is not the champion. Death is a doorkeeper. Death is just a gardener. Death is just a start. He's like, if you're all about that and you think that's the end. See, the guy's father isn't even dead, we know, by the way. It doesn't say that my father is dead. It's a Jewish axiom. It says, I need to stay home and tell my father's dead. It's not convenient for my family right now. It's not convenient. Jesus says, you're dead. Go bury the dead. Go do your dead thing. It's going to be very inconvenient to follow Jesus. It's going to disrupt your life. Jesus disrupts. where He goes into the temple and disrupts all that perfect little program they have. He's always disrupting things. Is your life disrupted by Jesus at all, or is it just convenient? Is that why Christ came tonight so that we could be convenient every day? Because we're here downtown where God put us. We're very inconvenienced because people walk in this door. Some of them are con artists. Some of them are starving to death. Some of them have nothing. And they come in at the door of the church because someone told them the church is supposed to be like this. And it's so inconvenient. And Murray Gossett Every single time stops his busy schedule, stops what he's doing, and sits down and talks with them. The rest of us kinda hide and go through the different doors and turn our lights off. Murray sits with them. It's so inconvenient and gives them and shows them the love of Christ without enabling them. This weekend we went on a last weekend we went on a middle school retreat. That sounds inconvenient to most of you. You know, me and Jake and Anna in the high school—we went on. T- we took 20 middle school kids. We went to Oklahoma uh, because they need missionaries. I don't know. We went to Oklahoma, and we went to Bricktown. And we got up Saturday morning. We went and rode the canal boat, and then we went and ate uh, Italian food at Zios. And then went to the climbing. And we—they—not not, we—they climbed up these rock silos and these for hours. Then we went and ate dinner. And then we drove to Clinton, Oklahoma, and then we had dinner. We had a worship service, and, and then we had small groups. And then they went swimming at 11:30, even though the manager. Anyway, and finally at 12, 15 at night, I'm laying down going, okay, it wasn't too bad. And the phone rings. One of our middle school girls is on the phone with a friend of hers back in Amarillo who's thinking about suicide. And I'm, uh, I gotta put my clothes back on and go out and get on the phone with this kid for two hours. And I thought, I really don't get it sometimes, Lord. This is a dear, precious life. It is going to be inconvenient, folks. You're going to have to be inconvenienced when God puts people who don't have what we have in this church and asks you to do something about it. It's inconvenient to go down to the old Y as for those doctors and nurses and volunteers and to see people who don't have health care. It is inconvenient to get up to a Bible study at 5 o'clock and be with your brothers. I, we have 11 senior guys who are busier than they could ever be trying to get, and they get up at 5.30 and have Bible study with us. That's real inconvenience. It's inconvenient to follow Jesus. He will disrupt your plans. If you're a control freak, if you're a goal setter, it is going to be inconvenient. There's nothing like it. Christ, Christ says this. And the scripture says this in Luke 9 23. And he said to everybody, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You think a cross is inconvenient? You have to drop everything you have in your hands it's splintery, it's heavy, and it leads you to your death. Is that your ideal of convenient Christianity? Where are we being inconvenienced as a church? Where are we open personally to make God inconveniencing us? And then the third one is really interesting. So again, it's expensive to follow Jesus. It's very, very inconvenient. It's very uncomfortable. Listen to this. So then he looks at another guy. He says, you want to follow me? Oh, yeah. I'd like to, but let me go home and say goodbye to my family and get everything in order. Jesus says a strange thing to him. Again, kind of random, it seems like. He says, nobody who puts their hand on a plow and looks backwards and fit for the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus, that's a mixed metaphor. You're talking about agriculture. Now you're talking about heaven. I don't understand. See, Jesus, is, they're, in a, they're walking along a road, and there's fields. field. He says, you see that farmer over there? You see that guy plowing his field? At the end of his field, at the every end, he has a stone or a rock about every six feet apart. at both ends. His oxen are lined up, and he focuses on that stone, and he takes those oxen and makes a straight furrow. If he looks back for his kids, if he looks back for anything, for his friends, he's going to mess up his field. That's what it's like to follow me. Let it go. Following Jesus is very uncomfortable. This guy has to go home and tell his family. This guy has to just leave his family and disappoint people. Folks, following Jesus is going to make you very uncomfortable. Tim Keller says he's preaching one uh, Sunday, preaching about following Jesus, and the next Monday morning, this downtown New York office, this wealthy Wall Street market guy comes, knocking on the door, comes in, I need to talk to you, Dr. Keller. I am really angry at you. Well, sir, what's that about? (laughs) It happens to him apparently all the time. It's very uncomfortable, he says. My daughter just graduated from MIT. She's brilliant. She went all the way through school, full-ride scholarship. She has a degree at MIT to go and do something phenomenal in physics, in nuclear biology. After listening to you, she's going to go to Somalia and work in the sex slave trafficking. How could you let that happen? (laughs) Following Jesus is going to make people very uncomfortable, make families very uncomfortable. You have to sit and tell a high school senior's cheerleader back in Houston 20 years ago, tell their parents and these wonderful Christian parents that their daughter was pregnant. And to challenge them not to abort that young baby who is now a thriving young woman. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when we had to tell some high school boys this year, they've been going to a o forever, that if they're gonna keep sleeping and trying to sleep with all the girls in the youth group, they're not welcome. That's not comfortable. It's uncomfortable to challenge people to stay in their marriage. It's uncomfortable till a guy's drinking too much. It's uncomfortable to tell somebody they're eating too much. It's uncomfortable to have friends close enough to you to say, "Kim, you need to forgive. Kim, you're being self righteous. Kim, you're being..." And it happens here all the time. It's not comfortable. Recently, in another city, I was meeting with this man who wanted to talk about Christianity, he was going to church, and active in church. And we went into this big restaurant. I said, hey, let's bless the food and bowed to pray. And I looked up and he was red-faced. He said, how dare you? Because that is insulting to me, that you would pray publicly like that and make me uncomfortable around all my business partners. How dare you? It's uncomfortable to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus says it like this about how uncomfortable it can be in two scriptures that are really not very comfortable. And Matthew says this, and everyone... Who has left homes, brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. It's not going to be comfortable for you or your family. Your kids might not be comfortable with the choices you make. You may not be comfortable with the choices that Jesus tells your kids to make when they're old enough. I haven't been. It's uncomfortable. He says another scripture that people, if you can take this out of the Bible. In fact, Thomas Jefferson cut this one out of his Bible. Didn't like it says this in Luke, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, cannot be my disciple. That makes me very uncomfortable. But in the Greek, what he's really saying is not hate evil, not hate like we hate sin, like we hate racism. Like, he's saying, compared to how much you should love Jesus, it should look any other love should look like hate that's uncomfortable. That's going to cause problems. Where in our lives are we being uncomfortable? Well, why would I want to? Why should I? Can I just be saved and stuck? Can I just get my fire insurance? Can I just get my get out of hell free card and just enjoy church and just be comfortable and convenient and not cost me anything? Why would I want to do that? Well, the only reason that motivates me to do that is not so I'll look good or think I'm going to be somebody or be noticed or whatever, not because I get paid now to do it, (laughs) it's because of this, because Jesus Christ was sitting at the right hand of God the Father from eternity past, having the wealth of the universe at his fingertips. And scripture says he emptied himself and became a man and became uncomfortable, had to learn to sweat and bleed, and cry, and be wounded, and be backstabbed, and be murdered. That's pretty uncomfortable, wouldn't you say? Jesus Christ, who had the convenience of any angel, any time anybody waited on him hand and foot, became a servant, became a boy, served his parents, served his mom, lived with 12 goofy, stinky men. Pretty inconvenient. Let people kill him. C.S. Lewis says for God to become a man would be like us becoming a slug. That's pretty inconvenient. And did it cost him anything? Was it expensive? Huh. He shed his blood. He let people murder him. He went to hell That's not only uncomfortable and inconvenient, that is the height of expense for us. He who knew no sin became sin, died in our place. He became uncomfortable so we could have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He became inconvenient so we could have the convenience of God the Father in our lives in the Holy Spirit. He paid everything so that we could be bought, so that we could be rich. He became poor. We, we, are we willing to let it go? That's the kind of Christ that deserves us being broke, miserable, inconvenienced. G.K. Chesterton says it like this: the great British theologian, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting; it's been found difficult and not even tried. It's not comfortable convenience. It's expensive. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and alone we will shake the gates of hell. I'm just saying, I think, Jesus, just give me 100 people who don't care about convenience, who don't care about comfort, who don't care about what it's going to cost. We can attack hell, and Satan will will shake in the name of Jesus. Are you willing to be inconvenienced, to be uncomfortable? Am I willing? Are we as a church willing to do radical things that will scare the hell out of everybody in this room for the sake of Christ? Are we just going to be consumers or are we going to be consumed? Are we just going to be users or are we going to be used by God? 1519. Hernan Cortez, Spanish captain of Spanish conquistadors. You know the story. It's changed my life when I think about what this means to follow Jesus. Parked his flotilla off the coast of what is now Mexico to be the first Anglos to mission and to explore Central and South America. He unloaded all all the supplies, the soldiers in full armored gear. They got to the coast, the shore. He ordered them to turn, plant the flag, and said, look out at the ships that brought us here. And guess what he said? Burn the ships. We're staying. Let them go. Let home go. Are you willing to ask God what the ships are? Are you willing to let things go that are keeping you and I and this church from being uncomfortable, inconvenienced, and expensive for God? God bless us. This coming weekend, we have an opportunity to experience the most distinguished preaching series and our speaker will be the reverend Don-